0: Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly.
1: Oh, how's it going, man?
0: It's going well. You?
1: Yeah, I'm going real well. I, uh, you know, every every time I hear broadcast responsibly and I'm like, yeah, you know what, no problem. You know, I don't I don't actually verbalize that, but like, really, what could be the problem? But this time around, I'm not entirely sure. So I'm going to let you decide what I'm drinking as far as uh, (laughs) this uh, for tonight. It's going to be something a little off the wall. And uh, I just I I am going to let you decide what what that's going to be. So
0: This is the best. Let's pause right here. This is the best lead up for an episode that we've ever had. <laughs> I, I, I love that this decision is being left up to me. And I feel like oh, this yeah. can radically change the course of this episode, depending on where it goes. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> so here's the thing. Two of these, I don't even know what they are, but I will <laughs> describe to you all right so the first I have a selection of uh 40 it's, it's 80 proof vodka uh another one that's a craft small batch handcrafted vodka that one is uh, some proof that I don't know off the top of my head so those are the boring ones moving on we have quote Blueberry Liqueur and Rhubarb Liqueur. That's what type, I have no idea. And then we have one called Brevin, which is an Icelandic spirit, and Borkur, which is a bitter Icelandic um, spirit made from birch bark. So those are your options. You have six to choose from.
0: So vodka... Is choice A.
1: Right, two choice different types of vodka.
0: Yeah, yeah. Choice B was, tell me what flavor again?
1: Blueberry liqueur.
0: Blueberry liqueur, okay, all right. And then, and then a bitter. A,
1: no, well, we also have a rhubarb, and then we have a Brennavin, which, again, I have no clue, with some sort of Icelandic spirit. Ooh, and man. then we have a... Icelandic bitter spirit made from birch bark. Now, I'm a big fan of birch beer, so I don't know if it'll taste like that at all. Oh, you know what? This is even more special cuz it's actually got a stick I'm assuming of from a birch tree inside of it. I didn't I just noticed that.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. <sighs> decisions, <the> decisions.
1: <laughs>
0: oh. Yeah. Man.
1: So what do you got? <laughs> okay. Um
0: the choice is going to be the rhubarb.
1: Rhubarb? All right. Good choice. All right. Yes. I like rhubarb. Yes. All right. So crack it open, pour it in. And while I'm doing that, what are you drinking this time around?
0: Well, first off, welcome to a nice place to brew. I'm Jason.
1: Oh, yeah. We should do. Yeah. Sorry about that, <laughs> everyone. We should do that, shouldn't we? <laughs> and I'm George.
0: you can check us out on social media on facebook and twitter at a nice place to brew and nice place to brew we also have an instagram page uh it's at nice place to brew where we uh, post a bunch of pictures about things all things beer and beer making like the show says in its title so check us out we look forward to interacting with you there george we also have a trivia question for the audience that i believe is still an open item is that correct
1: it is i've received some answers i still haven't received the right one it's not i mean i'm telling you you go back you start looking into what we say about decoction mashing and it will jump out at you i promise
0: do you want to throw out the question one more time for the audience
1: the question just as a refresh what determines the number of decoction mash steps you, do, you you should do during a brew day.
0: How many decoctions?
1: How many decoctions? Yes, exactly. Yes.
0: yes. Check out the old mm-hmm. episodes. it can be found. And the prize for this is you win a free copy of The Complete Joy of Homebrewing by Mr. Charlie Papazian. So take a listen, send it our way, and you're going to get a free book. Yep. All right. All right. A couple other um, housekeeping items. This is episode forty-four, and we are we are here to t- today to talk about a couple of things. Number one, George, who has very much become the global traveler over the last twelve months, <laughs> just returned from a very enviable trip to Iceland, and George had quite an interesting experience with the craft brew scene in Iceland, and we're going to talk about that in great detail today. We're also yeah. going to talk, we're going to have a little tips from the semi pros segment sur- surrounding diacetyl, what it is and what you can do about it. So stay tuned and uh, take a listen for that. One last item, uh, I- I'd like to uh, b- bring to the attention of the listeners that uh, the time of this recording is the first week of March, and we are coming upon the second anniversary of Will County Brewing Company's grand opening, So uh, starting Friday, March 6th, which this episode will be posted and available before that time, um, the festivities begin, and um, there's things planned on Friday the 6th, Saturday the 7th, and Sunday the 8th. Um, Just check out some of these beer releases they have, and it's quite impressive. The Oatmeal Raisin Cookie Ale will be released on Friday the 6th. It's one of the best beers I've ever had. Um, I, I reviewed it in an episode about a year ago. Yeah. Um, check this out. On Sunday, they're releasing a beer called Blueberry Pancake Stout. Doesn't that sound great?
1: That does sound good.
0: And if I saw a picture online correctly, they have a Sour Patch Kids series of beers coming out this weekend, all flavored from a Berliner Weiss base beer and flavored differently on top of that. So. Huh. Okay. It's quite it's quite an interesting idea. Yeah. So, I look forward to trying one or two or all of them at some point this weekend. So, come out to Will County Brewing so, Belen- Company in Charwood, Illinois.
1: So, Berliner Vice, so that's not actually a sour. It's just they're they're calling it a sour patch or how's that how's I wonder how that's working.
0: You know what? That's a, that is a great question and I'm just going to throw out their social media page. Check out their social media page at Will County Brewing Company. Uh, look for the event page for the second anniversary and see all the details there. Other than that, they're in Sherwood, Illinois, and festivities all weekend. So come on out!
1: Yeah, congratulations to them. I I lost uh, apparently lost a year. I thought they opened last year, so two years, man. That's yeah, that's a milestone yeah, two in the industry. So it yeah, is.
0: yeah. So Jamie, James, and Joel. Cheers to you guys.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right, Mr. Zerphy, have you had your first sip yet?
1: Not yet, because you haven't told me what you're drinking yet.
0: Oh, you know what? Okay, so I, um, I have an interesting story about my Irish red ale, and you can okay. speak to this because I've been talking to you ever since I put this together. So I brewed an Irish red ale about a month ago, And this was the first beer that I made using a mix of base malt and Red X. Red X, we talked about in a previous episode, is a versatile base malt and specialty malt. So -hmm. I put a recipe together uh, calling for this. It was a very good brew day by all the numbers uh, accounts. Um, Gravity came in high, fermented well, moved to a keg, did all that. Um... I knew for a fact that using roasted barley was going to add quite a bit of color to it. And I knew I was running the risk. I may end up crossing into brown ale territory with this beer just yeah. because of that. So when I, f- when I did the first pour of this beer, once I kegged it, it was, it was a straight brown ale. No question about it. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, it is what it is. You know, I have a brown ale. Well... After a week in the keg I poured another glass and magically I have this very nice looking Irish red ale in my hands. So George, I set out to make an Irish red and it just transformed back into an Irish red.
1: So that's, that's so, like some kind of brewing magic happening there. So the question I, I can't is does, explain it taste, it. does it taste like a Irish red or does it taste like a brown or
0: Well, we will let the BJCP judges. <laughs>
1: okay, Judge that enough. and let me All know. Right. I think yeah. it does.
0: I, honestly, I mean, I think it's a very smooth, very malt-forward flavor, which is what you would expect from an Irish ale. Sure. So so we'll let the so judges are, decide.
1: Are you are you throwing that into Boss? Yes, I am. Under yes, the Irish reg category? Yes, I am. All right. Yep. Very nice. Yeah, I
0: have three entries for Boss, and you, of course, have one. Uh-huh. So we'll see what kind of metals a nice place to brew brings back from boss this year.
1: So anyways, I have,
0: I have a small pour of this Irish red just to kind of get me started here. And then I have a bottle of something here, um, sitting right across the desk from me, which we'll get into later on in the show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let's see what's going on with this rhubarb liqueur. Mm, Definitely. Can
0: you send me a picture?
1: Yeah, sure, absolutely. Now I'm curious
0: of just how this is even packaged.
1: It's well, you have to remember we picked it up at the duty free shop, so it's very much like a you can drink this on the plane type bottle. But okay, to send it to you, it's from the Reykjavik um, distillery, and uh, it is a rhubarb liqueur. Like I said, and it comes in at. 21 percent alcohol
0: okay so
1: jason sullivan send and go all right on its way to you all right oh that tastes really good they definitely sweeten that and it it, yes i mean you can you can feel the alcohol as you're like breathing in while you're trying it um but it's uh oh yeah it, it 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 it's very sweet and has a definite kind of rhubarb flavor to it so I, i'm i'm a fan i might have to see if i can find that somehow stateside here
0: rhubarb liqueur in a little shooter bottle
1: uh huh did yeah.
0: you just throw it back
1: no 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 I, i'm i like sipping things like this. You, okay. So I've got it okay, in a little okay. taster glass from uh, Hoptoberfest from, I think, yeah, 2017. And I'll, I'll sip on that for a little while.
0: That's such a tiny bottle. Do you, I mean, do you get anything sippable out of that?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. It got probably an ounce pour out of that. All right.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, just, so that's not first, huge. Yeah, just, yeah. From here, it just looks, looks small.
1: Oh, it is but, small. Okay. 20, All right. 20. 20 milliliters so i don't know what that is in you know u.s units yeah that is uh, a little over half an ounce so okay yeah
0: well if it's good it's good cheers man
1: it's pretty good yeah cheers all right so where do we want to start do we want to start in iceland or start with uh diacetyl
0: let's start in iceland
1: okay and let's do that.
0: Mostly because I I'm near the end of this Irish red glass, and I am itching to open this bottle that's across from me.
1: All right, then I'll change up the order that I'm, I was going to talk about. in here because that was going to be the last one I would talk about, but I'm going to change it up here. So okay. let me how talk. Many you, a how little, many do you have? A bunch. I'm, but I'm not going to oh. hit everything about all of them. So sure, but, sure. Yeah. Um, let me talk about Iceland as a beer culture. Um, real quick, uh, Iceland is largely sessionable beers. They have, uh, you know, the the vast majority of the beers that you'll find on on the uh, in the country are are going to be, you know, that four to six percent um, range, and. They have, a, you know, the the culture around it is is not about getting smashed. It's it's very much about social, uh, the the social aspect of beer and making sure that you know you can keep going with the conversation and keep going with everything while you're while you're drinking. So they're real into the sessionable beers uh, that you know um, over there. The other thing they really have going for them is they have phenomenal water. And I, I drink. Yeah, you know, you, you, that's you a good pulls, point. Yeah, because of the volcanic nature of the island, you know, and the filtering, the filtering capacity and abilities of volcanic rock, their water is wonderful and is um, and, and is really good for brewing and will, frankly, for drinking. So that is, uh, um. You know, it really lends itself well to especially lagers and the more uh, delicate flavored type beers. Uh, And then the other kind of fact that I have here about Iceland is it went through its own version of prohibition. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. In January in first one January of 1915, they actually had a prohibition in Iceland and no beers sold whatsoever. Um, and it lasted no, for, a, sorry,
0: no beers or no alcohol,
1: no alcohol, no alcohol. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it lasted for a very long time, but the, it did loosen up in 1933. I don't have an exact date on this, but gosh, that's they, almost
0: 20 years.
1: Oh, Holy wait, crap. It. Wait for it. Cause in 1933, all they did was allow low alcohol beers Less than 2.25%. So, uh, you know, basically like the, the you know, almost like guess a little more than O'Doul's. Or, there was that French style that we talked about before that was kind of that. Um, it's it's a farmhouse variety that's low alcohol. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But things like that, they, they you know, and I think that's lent a long way. That's still a holdover to why a lot of their stuff is still very sessionable. In yeah, March, it makes sense. In March 1st of 1989 um prohibition ended so I just missed beer day as they call it in uh in Iceland uh and when I was over there but uh and it just passed so happy beer day to Iceland and that is
0: amazing
1: in in it's March a, 1st, it's lib-
0: liberation day
1: it is yeah <laughs> and uh <laughs> that's when prohibition officially ended and they were able to do what they uh what they wanted, you know. Uh and I'm sure they have rules and laws around it, but yeah. So, yeah, but that's when prohibition was officially lifted. So. Um so, so what
0: else what else about Iceland? Is it is it friendly to
1: tourists? I what we experienced, we were I thought it was extremely friendly. Um we stayed in Reykjavik the um one night and, and then went out into the country because uh a primary reason that people go there is for ecotourism. Um so there's a ton of waterfalls, geysers, hot springs and things like that. So that's pretty much what we were doing um because we in my um my mom's a travel agent. has some experience with these kinds of things. We actually didn't do one of the tour, the big tour companies, and ended up rent- renting a van and driving around. So we were able to, in doing so, interact more with some of the locals and be uh, and and not have to you know stay with our you know insulated tour group or anything like that. So we were able really to um, to. Uh, uh, you know, branch out and and like I said, interact more with the locals, and and it was they were all very friendly. Um, most everybody spoke English, although um, I was going to ask you know, about
0: that. Any language barrier?
1: There was just because it it's for for the majority of them, it's their second language because the primary language is Icelandic. Which, speaking of which, I need to preemptively apo- Sorry, I need to preemptively (laughs) apologize to an entire country. I don't know how to pronounce anything, (laughs) and I was having trouble with that. So if I butcher any of the pronunciation of anything, uh, know that I apologize uh, as I'm talking about this. Um, I remember
0: reading an article in a magazine just fairly recently, and they were talking about tourism in Iceland, Mm -hmm. and in many travel guides, they will encourage people that travel to make every effort to understand the local language and speak it at the greatest rate that you possibly can. Iceland was described as an exception to that rule because the Icelandic language is so unique and so uh, challenging to pronunciate and yeah. speak effectively. They pretty much tell outsiders, don't bother.
1: Yeah, it's... And, and, and I... I what we were reading was it's one of the old one of the closest languages to Old Norse that you will still run into. Obviously, a lot of the Nordic countries, their languages still have elements of that. But apparently, from what I understand, Icelandic is one of the closest to Old Norse, and it is. It becomes okay. extremely challenging, and it's the old joke of when you look at like town names, and you and you, your first thought is, "Can I buy a vowel?" Because they <laughs> the language is extremely <laughs> consonant heavy, and we did yeah. our best, and, and we try. You and, and in some cases, it was uh, important because, like, the double L in 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 the language is is kind of like uh, it, it's, it, it's it's this it's, it's how, how do I pronounce this? It's like a T stop l sound a little bit. So like h e l l a. That was the town we stayed in. And if we said hella, nobody knew what we were talking about. But if we say hetla, that then then we could, you know, converse about where we were staying and things. It was a town of 700 people, so really, you know, not many people knew it to begin with. <laughs> but it was <laughs> uh, you know, it was uh uh it, there there were times when it was important to try to get that pronunciation right. But but you're right. A lot of them were extremely uh, understanding about not being able to pronounce the different words and towns and things like that.
0: Okay. Very yeah. cool. So let's yeah. talk about beer, shall we?
1: Sure, actually. Yeah. Yeah, great. So we arrived in Reykjavik, and the first one that we were exposed to was called Gutl. Uh, and it is G U L L so you know it looks like dull uh it's obviously not pronounced that way um it is a 5% hellas lager and was awarded the world's best standard lager at the World Beer Awards in 2011 um so when i think about this one it's it's very similar to kind of the American lagers and that we, you know, run into here. And it's, it's really designed for that. It's a very respectable lager. It's not, doesn't have a huge depth of complexity or flavor. It's not going to be challenging to a beer drinker that is used to something like Coors or anything like that. Um, but it's very consistent, very easy drinking and was something that, um, you know, we definitely, uh, you know, my uh, the the people that were traveling with me weren't super into craft beers, so it's one of the ones they took advantage of when they could uh, when they could get access to it. That you know, so leaving there, we did find a craft beer bar, uh, which I believe at this point to be a slight misnomer, although their selection was um, pretty impressive. But I got a flight there, and it was largely comprised comprised of a brewery. Called Viking Beer, uh, which I come to find out is a affiliate of Coca Cola, and so it seems to be a you know one of those larger craft beer. I kind of put them on the same level as kind of a uh, Sam Adams kind of craft beer experience, if you will. So, okay. larger got those inroads and things, but not really what some people would consider craft at this point. Um, so they had a great selection of different styles and everything. And, uh, one of the other ones that, you know, our group t- tended to gravitate toward because Viking was all over the place was what they called a Viking light. So this one was 4.4%. So even more sessionable than the other one. Um, it, the, uh, in untapped, it actually does say that it's an American lager style. So it's very much of the, you know, kind of lager and, and easy drinking. Um, and the other thing that they do is is extremely limited on carbs and gluten-free. And they run it down to damn near zero in Final Gravity. This is an extremely dry lager. And, uh, it, and I think that's a largely due to... The types of ingredients they use, and like I, because like I said, it is gluten free, and um and and they're really looking for that nice crisp dry taste on it. Um, it. Even so, though, it remained very flavorful and was extremely easy drinking, and uh and and was you know a nice uh, nightcap if you've had some stronger or uh, a bunch of really flavorful uh, craft beers during the day, like I did. And just needed something to unwind with. So, getting so, into some of, the, go ahead.
0: So none of the, no, no real leftover gravity left over from the uh, specialty malts, huh?
1: No, no, not at all. And, and I wonder if perfect. they're
0: using something like remember our brewed IPA episode, the um, that one edition that was done.
1: The I see. I don't think so because because it is. Um, gluten-free I think they're probably using like sorghum and uh and other uh adjuncts like that to achieve that flavor and and it is like I said an American lager there is there's probably not a whole lot by I wouldn't be surprised if this was entirely base and so I think uh you know sorghum if you're using that if I remember correctly is almost completely fermentable so I I just don't think they have a whole lot of specialty in there uh and 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 really they don't uh i i would be surprised if they added uh glucoamylase to the uh to the mix
0: okay okay yeah well if you're only using base then that makes more sense so yeah i understand
1: right yeah absolutely so keeping with viking but getting into some of the more um crafty type beers is, uh, and I talked to you about this one when I was over there, there was one called the Viking rocker. Um, That's a Vienna lager at 4.6%. And that's the one we talked about that you said sounded interesting on that card. And this one was super rich, Amber color and had a lot of sweetness and caramel notes and really came in very malty. And I, I was I was you know one of my favorites that of the local around here of the larger breweries is uh, the Devil's Backbone Vienna Lager, and this was I think maybe even a better representation of that sweet caramel Vienna Lager style than uh, than maybe even Devil's Backbone was. It, was. it was a very solid, very rich, full beer. I was I was wow. really impressed with that. That's high praise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I got to drink Iceland's first stout. Now, obviously not the first batch of it, but Iceland not really big into, now as the craft beer scene's coming up, this is starting to change a little bit, but not really into the darker beers as much. Um, So this was, the Viking stout was Iceland's first stout coming in. At 5.8%, so actually a little bit more alcohol than uh, a lot of the other ones. And it was really roasty, had a lot of really good coffee notes. It was not super heavy. I think this was probably a dry stout. Came in as pretty much what I would consider a solid medium body. uh, And you weren't feeling like you were chewing it or anything like that. So it didn't have like those Guinnessy milk stout type notes that you would kind of expect sometimes but it was very uh you know it had it had everything you were looking for in kind of more along the lines of a dry stout
0: got it okay that's exactly what i was picturing
1: yeah yeah so that was that's a sampling of the multitude of beers that viking has uh and i was actually uh, you know, for what they are, I was very happy with them, and I was, uh, you know, impressed with some of the some of the beers that I had. And as a first real uh, foray into Iceland, Iceland's craft beer scene, I think it went. You know, it was a very good first step into that. So, um, yeah.
0: The first beer that you told me about, right when you were still traveling throughout the country. Uh-huh. Was a beer made from pine, or at least had a pine flavor in it?
1: A pine flavor. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Was that the sa- That's a saison. That was a saison. Um, from another. Can you talk brewery. about that
0: one? That one was really interesting.
1: Yeah. What was that called? That was called. Co- that was the Nordic saison. I don't have that at my fingertips. Um. But yeah, it was a you know the French style saison, and it did have those kind of pine notes to it, and it was it had a lot of that um, you know how saisons it's not banana, but there's like a, a that y flavor um, that I'm I can't quite put my finger on, but it really uh, was a had a lot of that going on. Hmm. And I'm not doing this justice. So I'm sorry about that. Um, I'm, I'm
0: picturing like the lightest beer you've ever tasted.
1: It was lighter. Nope, that's wrong. Trying to pull up Untapped so I can try to remind myself here what I'm... Because I think I checked it in on Untapped. Okay. One second. Uh, Borg Brewery. Yeah, and believe me, I made all the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I felt it was an imperative, you know.
0: Of course.
1: Yeah. Ah, here it is. Uh, Leifer N R is a six point eight percent farmhouse saison ale.
0: Oh wow! Okay, it's way it's mm-hmm. way heavier than I thought it would be.
1: Yeah, and it is uh, named after you know Leif Erickson. Um. And sh- 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 brewed with organic Arctic thyme and Heather Witch, along with Belgium yeast. That's, that's why I'm getting those kind of Belgium y flavors. Yeah, oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. And gives it a dry, gassy, grassy taste with a delicate, balanced aroma of citrus and pepper. And, and, you know, honestly, now that I'm reading that, the pepper I do remember, um, especially being on the nose of that. So it was a very complex saison, um which you know sometimes can be a little bit overwhelming when you're when you're drinking that <laughs> yes, but it can yep i I think they balanced it fairly well uh and yeah, And yeah, now that I remember that that was uh that was not bad i I would drink that again for sure
0: so a unique yeah. beer culture for sure.
1: Definitely a unique beer culture. They definitely have their own spin on things and they like to experiment with things. And one of the ones that is, is definitely unique is the one you have sitting right in front of you. Also happens to be from Borg Brewery or Brug house, a house as they like to call it. And it is called Snorri. Um, and it is an Icelandic beer. The National Beer of Iceland, the style is. And it's made from, this one in particular is made from unmalted barley, thyme, and spices. This one in particular okay, comes now in
0: Okay, now I'm really excited hearing that description. <laughs>
1: this like, one comes in it. was so, I
0: was so intrigued when you were talking about those spices and the additions that that other beer had. Like now um, that I have a bottle in front of me and it has a lot of those same spice flavors, now, yeah, yeah. This, this I'm excited for. So okay. prepare
1: yourself for a slightly unique flavor. So Okay,
0: all right. So I'm going to get a picture of this too. So, okay, it pours very cleanly, very, <laughs> very cleanly. Like I w- I was I'm tempted to say comparable to a light lager. This may be even lighter than that though.
1: Uh, yeah, that that tracks. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they use unmalted barley and base on that, and so there's not a whole lot of what would be considered you know, specialty grains or anything like that. So it's water, unmalted barley, hops, thyme, and yeast is what's in it.
0: It takes a lot of unmalted barley <laughs> to make great Icelandic beer. <laughs> Cheers. Here we go. Yep. Gosh, I sipped it before he even took a, took a full like, took in the aroma. God, <laughs> the aroma is incredible.
1: It is, and that's a lot of the time because yeah. it's organic Icelandic time.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm in a forest.
1: Yeah, that's not. Yeah, <laughs> I understand that. So while he's doing that, it's the IBU of twenty. Uh, Play-Doh, which is, you know, they don't use gravity. They use Play-Doh. So it's 12.8. That comes out to 5.3%. I have seen varieties of this style that are essentially non-alcoholic. I think Viking makes one. Um, But this one, like I said, comes in at 5.3%.
0: Oh, here it says on the back. Oh, and it's it's in English. Snorri contains Icelandic barley and Arctic thyme in honor of Snorri... Sturluson, chieftain at Borg, the estate our brewery is named after. Yeah, ingredients. Pure Icelandic water, malted barley, malted wheat, non-malted Icelandic barley, hops, Arctic thyme, and yeast. Snorri is unfiltered, which is interesting because you you can tell right away just how clean this beer is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. So what's your impressions?
0: It's very unique. It's very unique. I've never had a beer
1: like this before. Yeah, I agree. It
0: it pours like a lawnmower beer, except lighter. And and the pine notes, just the...
1: So what struck me about it is it really it it comes in as a urban spice beer which i think is completely accurate It is kind of the style that i put it put itself into for yeah, I would BGCP agree. GCP ratings um and it is definitely like that's the star of the show if you will you know the the beer aspect is there but it is it is largely kind of a vehicle for those kinds of notes that, that spice and and herbs to come through and really dance and play on your palate, and that yeah. is uh, that, yeah. that's what I noticed.
0: I agree completely, and job well done. This beer does just that. It's it's kind of a white car for those time notes, and I guarantee that's what the brewery had in mind when they made this.
1: Yeah, I think so. We
0: need a we need a light bodied beer. It's not going to be too dominant, and it's just going to be the platform for these flavors.
1: Yep. I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's very cool. Yeah. So, uh, segueing away from beer for a second, sure. what about wine and liqueurs? Does that ha- do they have any kind of presence there on Iceland too?
1: They do, but liqueurs, yes; wine, not so much. As born of Iceland, uh, as you just the grapes
0: wouldn't grow there.
1: Correct. Yeah. yeah. So uh, a lot of that comes from European countries and, you know, obviously Chile and the major, you know, uh, representatives are there as well. Um, okay. But we saw a lot of European wines and things, but uh, there are distilleries and liqueurs and things like that that are uh, prevalent in Iceland as well. Cool. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, so, right. yeah. So I, I, I was in the airport at the duty free shop and I saw that and I was like, Jason needs to try that. And so I knew I was sending you some beer anyway, so I picked one up and there you go.
0: And I'm quite thankful for it, sir. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> so I have I d- a couple Go ahead.
0: It's it's hard to picture where I would have the opportunity to drink an Icelandic beer. So I'm quite I'm quite grateful.
1: <laughs> well Hannah and I are all about going back. If you want to plan a trip, so just honestly, let me know. I I, I <laughs>
0: I'm not saying no to that. We'll, we'll talk.
1: Okay. Um. So, shifting back into to beer mode for yeah again. Um, there were a few other ones uh, just to hit some high notes of some other breweries. One was called Lady Brewing or Lady Brew House, and it was it's run by all ladies. Uh, outside oh, wow. of Reykjavik, Yeah. And so they did a little bit of a play on the whole Tinder thing, and it's called Swipe <laughs> it's called Swipe Right Summer Crush.
0: Swipe so. Right Summer Crush.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a wheat beer coming in at 4.3%. And honestly, it's very light and has a lot of that weedy hints to it and notes to it. Uh, But what really kind of was the unique, uh, you know, standout in this was a hint of lemongrass flavor to it. And it's not not lemongrass in the same way that kind of Malort's is lemongrass, but in a good way. And (laughs) it's, uh, uh, (laughs) uh, it's just that added extra bit of unique flavor, but it's still very welcoming and accessible to 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 drinkers and uh, I actually I enjoyed that quite a bit. That was a bit of a swap out because one of the beers on their flights they uh, they didn't have, so they swapped that one in for me, and it was it was good. Nice, yeah. And then another major one over there is called Einstock Brewing. Uh, this one I know you can find outside of Iceland, and uh, it's an Icelandic white ale, and it is. Uh, a white wheat ale at 5.2%. And the flavor on it was kind of similar to a blue moon, but it had kind of the elements of coriander and orange peel built into the beer. So instead of like dropping an orange in, which I think we all know how I feel about dropping citrus into beer, that those flavors were kind of already there, which were really nice and balanced. And you know how much, you know, you and I love coriander in beers, so sure do. Yeah. You know
0: you know, in tasting this beer just right when you're describing that. Uh-huh. I, I got a very clear picture about what that comes through like. I'll bet it pours exactly like the beer that I have right in front of me right now. Just the spice and flavor profile is gonna be different. That's gonna yeah. that's gonna be what tells them apart
1: the The big differences you'll have there is is uh it pours a lot cloudier because it has you know a lot of the in and, and and it has a lot of those wheat notes that you don't have oh, when yeah. you're drinking. right yeah, now. that's a good point um but aside from that, yeah, I mean there's that fruit and spice that uh, it really you know plays well as well so yeah, so and then sounds good. I have one last brewery okay. this one was my favorite. Very small little brewery in a very, you know, it's not very small, but it's a small little town on the south side of Iceland called Vík. And it is called, and I'm going to try to not butcher this, it's Smitjan Brughaus. It's uh, S-M-I-D with a little line through it, J-A-N. Ooh. (laughs) So... (sighs) This brewery did the impossible. <laughs> I was drinking at this one, and I I got a flight, and I said to Hannah, "I never say this, but you have to try this beer." And she tried it, and she liked it, and she drank about half my flight glass, which I was really annoyed <laughs> about because it was really good. <laughs> the the one that she liked was a mango passion fruit skewer sour.
0: Oh, that's a lot going on there.
1: It is. It is. It is. And, you know, honestly, there's, there's one thing in here that I really, really want to try is um, the skewer sour part of it is skewer is a form of Icelandic sweet yogurt um, that I actually got done making some of in my instant pot, which I'm. Kind of happy with, but I think I need to, to tweak the recipe a little bit. But basically, what they what an, a way of kettle souring a beer is by using yogurt to get those different, Wait, you know, back. What? Yeah, you could use yogurt what? to like sour a beer. And okay. that's what they did. They used the skewer, and it's a, a couple breweries have done this use the skewer to sour the beer, and it gives a really light sour. Uh, that's detectable, but not you know overwhelming as some of the sours are. Sure. And uh, and but the mango and passion fruit in there really made it juicy and citrusy. Had a very limited sour bite and had you know quite a bit of that kind of juicy juice sweetness, that fruit sweetness that you would uh, expect. So the result is a sour beer that is it that loses a lot of its beer root notes but becomes this really juicy fruity playful kind of beer
0: i'm still thinking about the yogurt
1: i know right i wow. want to try it
0: wrapping my brain around that
1: <laughs> that's
0: a lot to take on
1: yeah <laughs> i want to try it <laughs>
0: i'm intrigued not going to lie
1: yeah so there's two other ones that I had that I really liked. One was called Five Forces, and you'll like this one. This was an English porter uh, that was on okay. Nitro. Ooh. Yeah, and it was 4.7%, uh, very smooth and roasty. It had a lighter body than I expected, but you know, it had enough and enough you know, mouthfeel and body in it to keep it in the porter category easily, um, but it's definitely on the lighter side when it comes to that. Uh, and being it on nitro, it really kind of, you know, how it like smooths everything out, creates those smaller bubbles, changes kind of how the, how it lays on your palate. And, uh, it's, uh, it was quite good. And then the last one promises the last one, there's a weather alert called a yellow alert. Um, it's one of the, you know, as you can imagine, there's a bunch of different varieties of weather alerts. One of them is called a yellow alert. And so they named this as a Belgian blonde at six point three percent. And this just hit you in the face with that Belgian character. And you had banana Which, notes.
0: Okay, I, I was gonna say, is it the banana flavors coming through? Oh yeah, you had those okay. banana notes okay. and you okay. and you
1: had like it just it this was just a showcase of, hey, this is Belgian yeasts. And <laughs> it was extremely Tasty and had a you know, a, it, it, it was carbonated really well too. That really, uh, um, you know, uh, heavier went to, light. You know, I, I'm gonna say a little bit heavier than you would expect for a Belgium, but it okay. worked. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right.
1: It worked. So, so yeah, that's that. And then you know, there was another one that. Honestly, I didn't like all that much, but my family really liked that. I think you might find intriguing. It was called uh, Santa's Blue Balls and (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) Uh, it was... Let's see. It was. Uh, Is this a blueberry ale of some kind? It was a blueberry. I'm just trying to remember what the base was. That's what I was looking up real quick. A pale ale. It was a blueberry pale ale. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and they did blueberry pale ale with blue with with blueberries, vanilla, and lactose sugar. So it was kind of a milk pale ale, if you will. That sounds um,
0: really good. That sounds right up my did-
1: alley it does sound right up your alley and honestly i'd be intrigued to see what you think of it because it is extremely i'm gonna put the uh, untapped link in zencaster here for you because i'm curious to you know you gotta look at that color okay in the pictures
0: all right coming um, up here
1: wow yeah you see that i mean it is you know, blueberries, when you crush them, they kind of are this blue-purple color. And True. And that really gets wow. uh, exemplified right there.
0: Look at that in that flight. Look at those yeah. colors next to it. Look how much that stands
1: out. Wow. Yeah. I guess on
0: one hand, it almost looks more like juice than it does
1: beer. It does, but ironically it wasn't the one that really tasted like juice and not beer you know what i mean that was the passion mango fruit, fruit one but it was it definitely looks like juice you're right wow yeah
0: what's the abv on this four four and a half a milkshake pale
1: wow yeah
0: been no one oh my gosh I want, oh i need this <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you I need this. <laughs> right. I need to find out is there any way I can bu- I can buy this online. Uh, no, I'll I'll figure it out after the show.
1: Yeah, we'll have to figure that wow. out. Wow, thank
0: you for sharing
1: that. Yeah, so that was my favorite of the the places that we went to and and beers that we had. Um, you know, there was a couple other breweries that none of them were slouches at all they were all very respectable i was i was very happy with the beers that i had over there but i just wanted to highlight a few of them without going on forever although i feel like i did that um but that is uh that's kind of the highlights of of what i encountered over in iceland
0: highlights indeed the breweries Mm -hmm. of iceland well done george that was awesome and thank you again so much for this bottle here Oh, yeah. All right. So let's wrap this up. Uh, When we come back, we are going to go into tips from the semi-pros, and we're going to talk a little bit about diacetyl and what you as a home brewer can do about it. So stay with us. Welcome back to a nice place to brew. I'm Jason,
1: and I'm George.
0: This is tips from the semi pros. This is the part of the show where we give advice on home brewing to the best of our semi pro ability.
1: <laughs> Before we do that, I just want to let you know that I'm I'm my half ounce of uh, rhubarb liqueur is gone, so oh. I am gonna try this uh, birch bitter.
0: Okay, okay.
1: And and see how this, this is the one that actually has a stick in the bottle. So just wanted <laughs> to let still, you know. That,
0: is it still in one of those small little shooter bottles like the other one?
1: It is. It's a little bit bigger than the other one. Um, okay. So this might be actually closer to an ounce, ounce and a half. Um, But it, it they were all those little shooter bottles.
0: You said so. like 20, 22% is what they came in at?
1: This one is actually a more aggressive 37%.
0: Oh, jeez. Behave.
1: I know, right? Yeah. So tequila, they put worms in the bottle. Icelandic bitter birch, whatever this is, they put sticks in the (laughs) bottle. So, You know, just on the
0: last show, we were talking about that wine that had the snake in the
1: bottle. That's right. We were that Chinese wine.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, that is unique oh man
0: whoa okay oh. do tell
1: <laughs> <Whew>. so <laughs> uh it definitely has a lot of wood flavor is the best way i can describe it okay yeah and um it feels like you're almost drinking a fire which i know is a strange thing to say
0: is it overbearing
1: I don't think so because I think that's how it's intended to be.
0: Okay, okay,
1: but it's definitely present, and I'm gonna have to drink a little bit more of this to figure out if that's a good thing. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's
0: true. You might get to the end of that and be like, "Okay, yeah, one that first sip was enough." <laughs> so, but that's interesting. So anyway, I, I'm getting, I'm getting the image in my head of some smoked beers that I've had. And yeah. we've talked about this. It's really easy to overdo the smoked flavor. And I'm getting that I'm getting that same picture in my head just hearing that.
1: Yeah, it's not I'm not when I say I'm drinking a fire, I'm not tasting smoke. I'm just tasting wood, which is a unique thing. So it's uh you know like you could do wood chips in a beer and just get that wood flavor without like smoking them or dousing them in uh um in alcohol or anything but you get that kind of wood flavor. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm getting. So that's why I decided it's a good thing. But you know what I'm not getting in this at all? It's diacetyl.
0: Very good point. <laughs> <laughs> and perfect segue. <laughs> so let's start off and let's talk about what diacetyl is. And we'll keep this to the points about diacetyl that are going to be important to us as homebrewers. Diacetyl is the buttery off flavor that can ruin your home brewed beer. It's a natural byproduct of fer. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is a natural byproduct of fermentation. It's one of two major vicinal diketones uh, abbreviated as VDK that's produced during fermentation. Don't ask me for a textbook definition of what uh, vicinal diketones is. I'm not smart enough for that, so it's well, one of the, it's one kn- of the two.
1: I was wondering if you knew what the other one was.
0: Not offhand. <laughs> okay, but anyways, diacetyl is again that buttery that buttery flavor that that results in kind of a slickness on the tongue, and it's an off flavor, so you want to be conscious of this and make all measurable make all efforts possible to minimize any diacetyl flavors that are in your beer. In in certain beers, diacetyl will be more noticeable. Light lagers will be right at the top of the list because as going back to a metaphor that George has made before when it comes to uh, light lagers specifically, they're described as white cars. And what that means is they're they're just very help me out here George. You, yeah. You, so the white, white, car, your white car, your white car metaphor is really appropriate for this.
1: Uh, yeah, the white car concept is really that anything that can show up will show up. Uh, white car beers, you know, they can come off as simple, but in my mind, they're some of the most challenging ones you can brew because they're extremely technical. So a good clean pilsner a pale ale that you're not, you know, crushing in hops and things like that. These these are ones that you tend to think of as white car beers. They're they're not going to have a whole lot of specialty and they're not going to hide anything. So if you really want a nice clean lager, you have to hit, you know, do everything by the numbers, hit what you want to do and really make sure your sanitation and everything is on point because that can actually turn out really really well or you can show every single flaw in what you're doing.
0: It's not going to hide anything because it can't, because Correct. there's nowhere for it to hide. Mm-hmm. So, well said. I mean, it's. I mean, th- this is a perfect example for that. So, in those types of beers, if you have diacetyl and you're not watching your process enough to manage diacetyl properly, it's going to show up, and it could. It, it's one of those things that could potentially ruin your beer or your beer judging depending on what your goals are for the beer. Right. So, another point about non-light lagers, let's take other let, let's take another batch of styles of beer just for example. Let's say stouts, brown ales, ESBs, some some beers that have very pronounced flavors to them. These are beers that will that will be susceptible to diacetyl also, but just because they have more dominant flavor profiles than light lagers, that diacetyl has somewhere to hide, which is a good thing and a bad thing. So your beer is not going to be as susceptible to the diacetyl, but it's one of those things that if it is around, may just show up unexpectedly later on after you've bottled or after you've kegged and, you know, then you find it late, you know, thinking you've made a good beer and There you have diacetyl. Oh, crap. Well, now it's too late for me to do something about it. Right. So one of the things that causes diacetyl or one of the major contributors of diacetyl to beer is oxygen exposure. Now, this is a challenging element because as home brewers, we don't have the sophisticated setups that major breweries have. So exposure of beer to oxygen is inevitable. You can take steps to minimize it, and I highly encourage every homebrewer out there to do that to the best of their ability. But to completely eliminate it, it just doesn't work, even if you're on a pump system, because there's oxygen within, you know, those those pump transfers as well. Also, every one of your um, fermentation vessels is going to have some limited amount of head space, and that head space has oxygen there, too.
1: Yeah. I mean— if you don't have a ton, it should quickly get purged through the airlock and become more uh, CO2 than oxygen. But, yeah, it's going to, at least in the beginning, it's definitely going to have a, a certain amount of oxygen in there.
0: Exactly. So one last point before we talk uh, before we talk more in detail about how to control diacetyl. Diacetyl can be produced from bacterial infection. Now, we'll take... This is a point to just stop and say, watch your cleanliness and watch your sanitation. This will not be the last time you hear this in this segment here, because this is an important this is an important point on this topic and for homebrewing as a whole. Where does this bacter where does this type of bacterial infection stem from? Here's an here's an here's an important thing to make note of. This can often stem from contaminated keg lines or siphon lines. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the first one first, contaminated keg lines. So for those homebrewers out there who are kegging, who may have kegerators and have taps, be honest with yourselves. How often are you running line cleaner through those keg lines and also sanitizer? Every time, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) And then the second question those keg lines will not last forever. So, when's the last time that you've changed those tubes out? Think about it. Yeah. Same thing goes for the siphon lines, because I mean, the material around those siphon lines is the exact same material that's around those keg lines. So, same rules applies for there. So, these are these are things that are easy to overlook as a home brewer, and th- this this discussion today should be a, you know should spark everybody to just kind of pause and say yeah, maybe I need to look at that because this is an area that it can show up and create problems for you, Mm -hmm. okay? All right, so now that we've gone into great detail about what diacetyl is, let's talk about what you can do as a home brewer to control diacetyl in your beer. So what fights diacetyl? Healthy yeast. Simple as that, healthy yeast, So if you have a good active fermentation and you're managing your time properly, chances are, at least in the ale world, we'll talk about lagers in a minute, your healthy yeast and your healthy fermentation should do a pretty good number on that diacetyl. You want to add?
1: Yeah, so if I were to add anything to that is... Diastole, like you said before, is, is a natural part of the fermentation process. So one of the things that got recommended to me that I've incorporated into my fermentation cycle is once you hit the usual gravity, it has stabilized, you're attenu- you've attenuated as far as you can, and you've hit your final, what your final gravity is going to be. I allow it to rest sometimes up to another day or two beyond that to really help that gives the yeast a chance to flush themselves out and remove those remaining diacetals in there to, uh, help clean up the beer. Uh, and that's really helped with my, um, any kind of yeast off flavors is just giving that little bit extra time to allow it to fully kind of clean itself up. Um, because yeast, once it's really done, Doing what it needs to do in the fermentation cycle does go through kind of a cleaning cycle, if you will, and 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 helps to clean itself up.
0: That's exactly why healthy yeast is the number one point as to what controls diacetyl. Healthy yeast will do just that. I mean, you you used the perfect term just a second ago when you say cleaning up the beer. And that's exactly what the yeast does with those remaining diacetyl elements in it. You mentioned a time of one day if you're not in a hurry to keg your beer or, or if you're in a in crunch time for either a party or a competition or something like that go go longer than that you yeah. know I, I've been I've been advised to give a regular ale as much as a week so just to put a timetable around this let's say you have a brew day on a Sunday. You finish up your brew day, you get to cooling temperatures, you aerate your wort, um, pitch your yeast, hopefully after you've had a couple days in a starter, um, let the beer ferment. Let's say it's, you know, it's kind of reached its final point, probably around Friday or Saturday. Give that beer until next Friday and just being on that tube that's dropped out from the regular fermentation there's enough yeast in that that just leaving that at its at the regular temperature of 65 to 68 degrees that'll take care of the diacetyl no problem yeah one of the problems that i've made in past of in in past brewing projects is i've been in too much of a hurry you know i've had my brew day i've pitched my yeast I've kept the yeast on the on the beer for about 5 days and then because I'm in a hurry, I will cold crash it right away. Not leaving enough time for that diacetyl to get eaten up by any other yeast. So what happens? I have what's effectively what effectively a diacetyl bomb as some people have <laughs> said before.
1: Yeah, and sometimes that, that, it's all about patience, right? <sighs>
0: on this topic yeah yeah Yeah. so what else can you do to control diacetyl we talked about oxygen earlier take steps to minimize oxygen exposure as best you can reduce head space keep your keep your tubes below the liquid level just so it's not it's not exposed to air as it's dropping out to a new container when you're doing doing a transfer just little things like that get a pump system that that may be the best advice, is is get a pump system and start using that. Mm-hmm. So, George, Which, I'm close. I'm really close.
1: <laughs> to getting a pump system? Uh, yeah, I'm close. You won't regret it. I'm, yeah. I'm close. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll have to make some other changes to my setup, but, uh, yeah, I'm I'm about ready. Yeah. Third point select a yeast strain not noted for diacetyl production. I didn't get to research this in in great detail, but there are certain yeast strains that are more susceptible to diacetyl flavors than others. Next point, cleaning and sanitation. I mentioned earlier on in the episode that this is going to come back again, and well, here we are. Clean everything, sanitize everything. Your beer should never touch anything that's not clean and sanitized. Or you'll have diacetyl.
1: <laughs> or you could have diacetyl. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> or you could have any number of all flavors. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, before we talk, um, there's a topic of diacetyl resting, which I'm sure many people have heard that term before, and we're going to go into detail about what that means. But before we do, I want to talk about a method called croisoning. Now, back to my example earlier about times where I've been impatient and I've pulled my beer off and cold crashed it too quickly and it's not a, had a chance to take care of the diacetyl. There's a method of poisoning that can help in that type of situation after you have a beer with a lot of diacetyl. Croisoning is very simple. All it is is pitching a second edition of yeast after the fermentation is completed. And you're using just a fresh batch of yeast to do that clearing that we've been talking about here in this segment. Hmm. Simple as that.
1: I've never done that, have you? I have.
0: I have. I, have. I, I, okay. I, well, I did it as an emergency measure. And I gotta, I gotta thank our, uh, our friends from Emmett's for teaching me about what this was. Because I brought a double IPA to a meeting that was a diacetyl bomb, and it was called out. The beer was in a keg. And once they told me that, it and once it came up in conversation that it was in a keg, they all looked at me and said, oh, that's great news. Okay, you can take care of this. Here's what you need to do. Take your keg out of your kegerator, bring that keg up to room temperature, pitch a, uh, a packet of USO5, and then just let it sit for a week and then bring it back, cold crash it, and then put it back on the kegerator. So, hmm. being that it was back at room temperature, it was within that sixty-five to sixty-eight degree, you know, normal temperature for uh, uh, USO five. Yeah, for exactly for USO five, and also for uh, kind of diacetyl rest temperatures. So, and also, honestly, it worked well. So nice. So,
1: yeah, I've never never tried that. That is that's uh, that's a decent enough idea because then it can it go is. through and do that clearing. You know, just as a supplemental yeast addition, that's that's interesting. Exactly,
0: exactly. And it'll lengthen your brewing process, but at least it's an off flavor that you can take care of if it shows up. True. Okay, let's talk about diacetyl rest. So diacetyl rest is bringing beer up to a temperature that's ideal for getting rid of all those diacetyl elements. Let's talk about lagers first. Lagers, as we know, ferment at low temperatures, usually between 50 and 55 degrees. That temperature is not going to be enough to take care of diacetyl. So what do you do? Raise that beer's temperature up to 65 degrees and then keep it for seven days. And then from there, you slowly cold crash the beer. Target about three to five degrees per day down to cold crashing or or lager levels, 40 degrees or under. And that's where your lagering takes place. If you can devote that time to that, your diacetyl should be just fine. Right. Many people will say, okay, now we're going to talk about ales. Many people will say that doing this type of rest for an ale is a waste of time. And for many styles, it probably is. But in case you're really worried about diacetyl, and I would be someone who would err on the side of caution, instead of doing seven days, do three days. George mentioned earlier, after his fermentation was done, he gives his beer an extra day on the yeast and trub. Give an extra three days, and then cold crash, and that'll be enough too. And that should be enough.
1: Yeah, I and mean, it should be. I mean, And in the quick lager methods that I've used in the past, which are, you know, granted aren't great for super longevity, but in the quick lager methods that I've used in the past, you know, a three-day diacetyl rest is what's usually recommended, and then you you tend to go a little bit faster than what you were talking about i've i've seen as aggressive as five to ten degrees per day uh in the in the decline down to freezing but uh it's uh you know definitely want to make sure you at least pause to hit that diacetyl rest for a logger before you get down you know and start cold crashing it for sure
0: yes absolutely So one last point uh, that I want to talk about on this segment, I want to talk about what a diacetyl test is. So we've talked about what diacetyl is, what the diacetyl rest is, what you can do as a home brewer to take care of it. Well, what if you're uncertain about what kind of level of diacetyl your beer may or may not have? Well, a diacetyl test is a way that you can figure that out. So So we'll talk about this in four steps. Number one, put a sample of your young beer into two separate glasses and then cover them. Put one glass into a hot water bath and keep it in there for several minutes, enough to raise the beer's temperature up to a warm temperature, and keep the other one away. Keep the, keep the other one at room temperature. Don't touch it. After 20 minutes, uh, cool that hot beer to the same uh, room temperature as the other one that's been left, left sitting. So after it has cooled and both of them are at the same temperature, take the covers off, and just catch the aroma of both. In your hot water sample, are you getting some real strong buttery notes from that sample? If it is, then you've got diacetyl. So from that point, raise the temperature, let the let the uh, let the yeast take care of it, and and be patient with it until it's done.
1: That's it. So is the control sample the one you're not warming up is that just basically for comparison exactly or is, uh, that, that's exactly what okay it is. yeah makes sense
0: yeah so there you go
1: yeah
0: i guess as one final point if you participate in bjcp competitions diacetyl is an off flavor that is recorded on all judging sheets and this is an area that all bjcp judges are trained on so if your beer does have diacetyl you will be called out on it and your scores will reflect will reflect because of it true so what you can do about it is all the things that we've talked about here on this segment so you have all the tools to make sure that your judgings will not be will not be negatively impacted by di- diacetyl so pay close attention and do what you have to do that's our tip from the semi-pros
1: <laughs> he says very dramatically
0: yes. <laughs> no, it sounded good it sounded really good
1: <laughs> you take it or leave it that's the tip <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right episode 44 in the bag yeah man all done
1: so i'm sorry i don't have a do you have a trivia question i don't have one this time around no
0: no trivia this time
1: no trivia this time around that's all right well uh we've uh rambled on a little bit you know longer than we usually do thank you for everybody that's still here sticking around with us i think you know you got to see a little bit of a slightly different beer culture as well as you know jason gave some really good tips on an off flavor that is all too common if you if you look out for any off flavor this is the one to look out for because this is the one that's the most common to run into so that's true yeah yeah so if you stuck around definitely got some good information and had some good times and you get to find out that this birch thing
0: (laughs) (laughs) just kind just kind of works huh
1: It does just kind of work, and uh, I'm not sure I'd seek it out, but I'm not going to say no if someone hands it to me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's good enough (laughs) praise for me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Well, let's get ready to close out. We raise a glass, and for the first time in a long time, I have two glasses in front of me, so I can do this and... (laughs) make make it seem presentable all right after you sir
1: it takes a lot of good beer to make great beer cheers cheers